So we have been in, we've just started a new series, and um, we're talking about resurrection power and, uh, to, and, uh, and, and what does it look like to live as somebody who's been resurrected? What does it look like to live a life that is powerful? And we kind of t- brought it out of um, Romans 6, 3, and 4. It says, do you not know uh, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death, we were buried, therefore, with him, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, resurrected by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, in the resurrection, okay? And so we talked about, man, what should we title this? And I said something like resurrection power, but that's lame. So Kevin and I were talking this week, and he came up with a great title, and we're going to call it Walk This Way, because we want to walk like the disciples walked, so that we would experience the life the disciples experienced. We would experience uh, as a church the life and be the church that God desires for us and is, is creative and awesome and memorable as this is. Whenever I come up to speak every week, this music's going to come on. You know a song? Walk This Way, right? Right? Oh, it's coming on introduction music every week and we want you to stand up all right okay walk this way so you're going to remember that now you know and someone's going to ask you what's the series talk name you go no wait that's not it walk this way is the title so that we live a life as we follow the, the, the pattern of the early church, that we will receive and be what the early church was. And we're going to look at that today. Um, last week, we talked about, as we follow the disciples, one of the things, before we do anything, is that we have to learn to obey, and that we have to learn to wait, uh, and only then power will come. And only with power can we build the kingdom, right? And so we wait for God, but also there are times and seasons in our life where things aren't happening like we think, and like they should, and we have to wait for God. And in both of these situations, when we wait, you know, we listen and we wait, and then we obey, there's power. And that in a season of waiting, it's not a bad thing. It's a normal thing in the Christian life. And so this week, we're going to do uh, the name, of the, the title of the talk is Doing What They Did. And we're going to look at what the church, excuse me, the first church looked like. Okay, what does the first church look like? That's relevant to us because we're in the same season. We're in post-resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's commanding us to go make disciples of all nations. And Acts is a story of what that looks like in the the church at that time. And so we're going to read that today and look at that specifically, what they did. Okay, so this is Acts 2, 42 to 47. Okay, slow down. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number by day those who were being saved. 
Okay, so this is what's going on. The church history happens. Peter preaches a sermon, okay? And we're told that that day, 3,000 people believed as a result of the sermon. We know that prior to that, there was 120 believers. And so at this point, whenever we read this passage, we know that there's about 30, you know, 3,120, 3,120 people. And just a, a bit later, a few days later, he preaches again, and 2,000 are added. And so this, like, movement is taking off like wildfire. It is explosive. It is moving. And why is that? And, and what we're going to look at today is what happened. What happened that, that caused this to happen? You know, in the midst of persecution from Jews, in the midst of persecution from the Romans, you know, Christians being killed, what happened that allowed the church to explode? What happened? And then how did it happen? So what happened? How did it happen? Okay? And so we see this. So Peter preaches a sermon. It's average. You can read it. It's a historical document. You know, people agree. Yeah, he preached this. He said this. And it was average. But it says that all these people turned and followed and became believers. Well, why is that? Because there was power. There was power, supernatural power, along with the word that, ca- that made the word come alive. Made the word come alive and it changed their life. And they could, only, they could only say yes because of the power. They could only say yes. They could only move towards this new life because we're wired for life. And Jesus, you know, Paul preaches, the, or Peter preaches this and power comes on them and they turn. They turn towards Jesus, to follow Jesus. And it says here in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. We just finished talking about this and preaching about that. The word of God is active. It's not static. It's fused with power. And when it is, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is like surgical language, you know. We are, again, we've talked about this. And, and, and the word of God goes out in power, and it cuts us. It cuts us to our core. And, and when that happens, the word comes to us. The spirit moves into our heart and breathes new life. And the word comes alive. It, it comes off the pages or, or, or out of the mouth. But it's only when there's power infused with it that it changes your life, that it changes your motivations. It changes your pleasures. He changes everything. He changes everything. And out of that, that's where the church was born. That's how, that's what happened. What happened? There was power. There was truth. Truth and power came and it wrecked their lives forever. And the Holy Spirit has continued to wreck the lives of people as he comes in to people's hearts and gives new life. We all want that, right? We all want life to the full. We all want new life. And this is what separates us. This is what separates us from the world. It's not what we know. It's not what we think. It's not knowledge. What separates us from the world is that Jesus is alive and he has given us power. He has promised to send his spirit on his behalf so that we can do the things that he did. Every other religion in the world worship a grave, a dead person who tells them what to do if they want to find life. And Jesus says, if you want life, come to me and I will pour out my spirit on you and you will be filled with life to the full. And so we walk in this newness of life. That's what happened. 
And it only happens with the power of the Spirit. It only happens with the power of the Spirit. It's not about what you do. It's not about your good works. It's not about any of that. It's about the Spirit coming in and changing your life. And when he changes your life, everything else changes. Your pleasures, your desires, what you do with your time, everything. What you do with your money, what you seek after, everything changes. You have a new life. You have a new spirit inside of you. Okay. And you become explosive. You become dangerous. You're like, don't know my eat everywhere you go. And when we gather together as a church, we become dynamite also. We become like atomic bombish, right? Because we're together and uh, we become dangerous. And so that's, you know, this part of the talk, when I talk about how did this happen, one of the things that often is, happens with this, with this section of scripture is people begin to talk about what they were doing. Oh, you need to, the early church was doing this. And so if we do this, then we will have the same results. God will add to our, to our numbers. And so they, they do fellowship. They do breaking bread together. They do communion. They do worship. They do prayer. They do all of these things. And, and there are good things in that. And we are commanded to do those things. But I think there's something greater. There's something greater that happens in this passage that all of this flows out of. That all of this flows out of. And, and when this happens... How this happens in the church, how this happens in our life, after we've been filled with the power of the Spirit, how this happens, all of these other things just happen. They just go. We desire to pray with one another. We desire to come and give ourselves and sacrifice and sell our things because we have been created into a new creation. But this is what happens so that it makes the how. This is how, when the power comes, this, when this happens, it Boom, it, it, it comes alive, okay? And the earth and the world freak out, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna this is the thrust of my talk. It says there, uh, there's a love. There's a love that comes amongst them that is unlike anything the world has ever seen. It's incomprehensible. It's unexplainable. It is something that, uh, that separates us from everyone else as the church and as believers. It says this. It says all believers, in verse 44, it says all believers were together. Oh, yeah, well, that's a powerful verse, Antley. And all of this, all believers were together, seriously? Well, we meet together all the time. What's the big deal that they were together? Why is that so important? But I, don't, I didn't say that it's about meeting together. I said that it's, it's they were together. And what's happening here is that they were meeting together. But where did they meet together? They met everywhere together, it says. They met in the temple, but they also met in their homes. They met everywhere. When did they meet together? It says constantly, relentlessly. It says every day, continuously. You see in verse 46, it says they met together in the temple courts. And then it says, and in their homes. They came together. There's over 3,000 of them. Every single day they came together in the temple, and they couldn't get enough of each other. They were, there was so much happening, so much power, so much amazing things that they would go home, and they would continue. People would come into people's houses. They couldn't get enough. Imagine when the world saw that. Imagine when, when the other Jewish culture, the people in that culture saw that. They'd never seen anything like that. The Romans saw that. 
It blew them away because of the love that this new community. They, regular life was an interruption. Not the church being an interruption to our regular lives. They lived for this. They died for this. This is what they were after. They were after power, expressions of power, expressions of love, expressions of God, expressions of things that they had never experienced. And what they realized is that it happens when we meet together. How? Through power. When? When we're together. And then it goes out. But it's when we're together that we get ignited that these things happen. It's not something they did. They didn't get together to meet. It's something they were. It's something they became when they became filled with new life. When they became filled with the Spirit. Before the Spirit, they were apart. They were individuals. They had motivations that prioritized themselves. They were singled out. They were alone and isolated and doing life on their own. Taking care of their families on their own. Or, you know... The best that they could. But then this new life comes. The spirit comes. And what happens? They go from being apart to together. Instantly. It happens. Boom. It happens. And they see this opportunity to experience more of God's love. More of this new life. And they gather together. And so out of this, out of this comes all of those other things. When they experience God's power, they experience intimacy with each other, they begin to want to be together, and they pray, and they give, and they, there's not pressure for that. You know, there are times at, um, at River City Church where I'll get up here and kind of say, like, you guys, you really need to do this. This is going to be awesome. You know, maybe the life course or, you know, the, the service tonight with the other churches. I know, like, that's, oh, man, church in two days. You know, what are we becoming Baptist, Antley? Is that the new direction of RCC? You know, and, and I kind of stand here and I say, no pressure because you're busy. I know that you're busy or, you, you know, no pressure. I know there's other meetings and this might need to be for you. You know, you can come if you want to. But really what I'm doing is I'm trying to motivate you, right? And there's nothing wrong with me kind of like, come on, you know, kind of encouraging you along and uh, reminding you uh, about building the kingdom of God and doing these things. So there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't see that happening ever in the Bible. You don't see that happening anywhere in Acts. Peter says, like, come on, guys, let's meet together. You know, we've done it for 20 straight days. Can we just do it one more time? Let's get together one more time and just see what happens. And we see this in revivals, right? When revivals happen, people just come. And they just keep coming and they just keep going because there's life and there's power and there's love and they're experiencing a reality of the kingdom and of God's love for them and they don't want to miss out. They don't want to miss out. And whenever we experience that individually, we're like, this is amazing. I want this every day. How do I get it? Because it's unlike, it's new life in us. It, it, It breeds something in us that we cannot find anywhere else. And it becomes, and it happens because of power, and it happens when they get together. Whenever they get together and they sense God's presence, this happens. It says that um, there was awe whenever they got together. There was great awe. And in and, and, and the King James, it says there was fear. And this is not a fear like, oh, my gosh, God's going to crush me. You know, it's not that fear. 
It's like a fear of his majesty, a fearing of his beauty. It's, it's, a beco- it's becoming aware of his, how glorif- you know, just how glorious he is, how wonderful he is, how magnificent he is, how loving he is. And they're like, whoa, I had no idea. I had no idea. This, this is so amazing. This is amazing. I am, you know, compared to, to who you're revealing yourself to be to me, I, I'm in awe. I'm just so overwhelmed. And it says that there was all. And so there's this sense when they get together that there's power and, and there's adoration for God, but there's also intimacy. In his presence, there is power. There is all amazement, but there's also intimacy with God and each other. Then in verse 247, it says this. This is one of my favorite verses. This is why we meet in the round. This verse is one of the reasons we meet in the round. And it says this in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, day by day those who are being saved. I'm not saying that we meet in the round so God will make us more people. You know, so he'll we'll have more people at worship. No. When it says praising God and, ha- and having favor... Uh, with all people. What that word means, when it talks about having favor, it means that they saw God's power. They saw God's love. They saw God more clearly and more beautifully in each other when they were together and when they were worshiping. And so God was transforming them as they saw God's power in each other. And so when you stand up and worship and you look across at our family and you're worshiping and you're seeing them worship and you're God moves. He, you, you, you begin to get drawn into their worship, especially when you know someone is suffering. You know someone is going through something. You know someone is in a hard place in their, in their life, and you see them worshiping in the midst of that. You see them just opening themselves up, trusting God in the midst of a situation that is, is difficult. And when you see that, it communicates the nature of God, the power of God, the beauty of God. And it comes on you, and you become transformed. You become filled with God's love. You become more filled with his compassion. You experience more life as you worship. That's why we meet together. So we get to see each other. We get to see the glory and the beauty of God on each other's face as we worship. And it's, it's, you know, in every way. Having favor. So they came together as a response to God's presence and God's power. And they had God life. And um, that they would not and could not find on their own. They're showing us, if you want more of God, then spend more time with each other. That's what we see in this passage. We spend more time with each other, not to meet to do more, but to be together, to experience more of God's power and of God's presence. It is in this environment that we share God's word that we break bread, we pray, we teach, we sacrifice and suffer for each other. You know, I was talking to someone in the church yesterday and uh, just about church and and they've been in the church a long time. Uh, They're a little older and they've been in the church a long time and they've been in a lot of churches uh, besides River City, but they've been with us from the beginning and they said, you know what I love the most about River City Church? I was like, well, that's obvious. It's the preaching, right? And they're like, no. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's the worship, you know, because we have amazing worship. Or maybe it's the prayer ministry, because that's where you're ministered to. And they said, no. 
the most important thing for me is community, is that we're a family. You know, at River City Church, everything that we do, and, and we don't always get this right, everything that we do is an effort to connect you with other people, is to get you in community. Because we know that life is too hard, life is too messy to do on our own. That's not how we're wired. And when you read this, so not only are we not wired for this, but in the presence of each other, there is unique power. There is unique opportunity. There are things that will happen and can happen that can only happen when we gather as a family, when we stick together. You know, one of the things that we do in our family, we start, recently started doing to remind ourselves that we're a family, is we, uh, we have these three signs, and we do and it's three, three sayings that are easy. And we remind each other when we start violating them, right? And so one of the signs is we stick together. Okay, we go, we stick together, right? And then the other one of the signs is we don't hurt each other. No, none of this. No hurting each other. And the third thing we, uh, we say is that we have fun. And this is the sign. We have fun together, okay? We have fun together. Identifying that these are attributes, that these are characteristics of who we are. That when we get together, these things happen. And when we're not together, these things we celebrate. And we make sure that they continue to happen. And the same thing happens for us. When we gather, we get together, we're after power. We're after presence. We're after the love of God. We're after a big life. We're after more life together. And then when we separate and we go our own ways and we do our own things, we're left with that reality. And we live and we walk a big life in the world. And the world sees that and they are drawn to the source of that which is in our church. The source of that, the living kingdom in you, and when we gather together, it exists in a way that is powerful, that is more powerful than when you're by yourself. When you're by yourself. It says this uh, in Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Again, I say to you, this is Jesus, okay? I say to you, that's Jesus in Spanish, I think. All right, or Madagascarian. Okay, here we go. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus, where two or three are gathered, baby, that's where I am. Ask anything, and my Father will give it to you. What a powerful position. What a unique place to be. What an opportunity to change lives to change the world, to build a kingdom. And then in Ecclesiastes, it says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. Those are married folks, okay? If you're, you know, just to clarify that, okay? They keep warm. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? How can one keep warm? All alone. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Okay, so as we think about this as a church... It's not a formula, okay? It's not like I need to do this and then this will happen. No, what Luke is teaching us is that when you are filled with the explosive power 
of the Holy Spirit, when you are filled, when the word comes and cuts us, cuts us to the core, it says earlier in in Peter's sermon, it cuts us, it cuts us to the heart. The spirit comes in and, and we are filled with new life. And what Luke is showing us is when we're filled with this kind of life, we are drawn to each other. We want to be with each other. And you're asking the question, well, what if I don't feel that? We're going we're gonna to talk about that at the end, okay? But that's what happens. And so this, this is like, it can be two people, like, like Jesus in Ecclesiastes just said. It can be two people. It can be, it can be three people, four people. It can be a city or a life group. It, it can be a gathering like this where we're together. It can be, you know, a coffee with someone or a small group of people. It can be when you gather for a meal with, with several. It, it can be in any of those vi- environments, right? But here's the deal. You have to be seeking the presence of God. You have to be seeking the presence of God. You have to be seeking new life together. When you gather, it doesn't look like when you gather with someone who doesn't know Jesus. It doesn't. And so many of us, we think, well, I'm going to go grab a beer and we're having fellowship. But there's no pressing into, there's no knowledge or experiencing of the presence of God. There's not, it's not even on our minds. We're just going to kind of hang out. We're going to connect. We might share a little bit. But there's, there, there's no vulnerability. There's no risk. There's no, like, I want more of this. Do you want more of this? Well, let's go for it. What does that look like? And that's not, you know, I love grabbing a beer or someone or grabbing a coffee with someone. That's, that's great. It's great. But Luke's Showing us, if you want to experience what they did, we need to walk as they did. We need to do what they did if we want what they had. And so when we gather, when they gathered, they were seeking the presence of the Lord. They were seeking the power of the Lord. They were seeking to live life and see life lived in the other person so that they could experience that. And they could have more and they could experience more. And, and you, you've experienced this. Have you ever, like, been on an airplane and you sit down to next to you're like, oh, my gosh, who am I going to get to sit next to? Is it going to be, like, someone who's awkward, you know, or someone who doesn't smell that great or, you know. I mean, we all walk down the aisle, right, and we're looking at our seat, like, who is this going to be? And we sit down, we sit down, and something happens where we realize they're a believer, they might crack open their Bible, or they, or they might start speaking in tongues or something like that, or touching the airplane and praying for it and anointing it with oil, right? Something happens, and all of a sudden, you're like, there's a kindred spirit, right? There's something that connects you with them. Well, what is that? That's God's power living in you. You've both been awakened to the reality and the power of God's love and his life and a big life and the power of the spirit in your heart. That's what's happening. And so we experience this. We experience this. You've experienced this in little ways. But Luke is saying there is, there's more. There's always more. You gather more, you experience more. You pursue God's presence more, he will, he will pour himself out on you. If you seek me, come and see. Come and taste. I am good. You will find out that I am good. I am good. Come to me, everyone. And I will give you rest every time we meet. This is an opportunity. This is an invitation to experience God's love. You know, recently, I met with someone. And uh, they had been in a lot of churches. They had been hurt by a lot of churches. And they said, and they'd been hurt by pastors in a lot of churches. And so they were meeting with me as they were considering RCC. And they're like, 
dude, are you going to crush me like these other pastors? Like, are you going to do? And he went on to tell me the stories of how these pastors had inappropriate things in their lives. And it was just so disheartening. And he was in ministry with some of them. And it was so disheartening that he was just kind of at the end of his rope. And then he asked me, what are you doing now that will prevent you or that prevents you from, from that happening? You know, and I told him, I was like, well, I have my wife who is on it. You know, she's asking me and talking to me about what I'm doing with my time, what I'm, how my heart is and what's happening. And, and then I have two different individuals that I meet with for two different reasons. And they ask me about my life. And then I have a small group of men that I meet with. And they ask me about my life and hold me accountable. And then I have the elders that I go with. And I'm very vulnerable, open as a church leader and need to be so that they can hold me accountable. All groups of people, all two or three gathering together. And in that, there is power. There is accountability. Not accountability like don't do this accountability. It's like accountability. Antley, when we get together, there is power. There is love. There is God in the midst of us. And that's what keeps me in a place of integrity. That's what keeps me in a place where I know I need to be if I'm going to function in the role that God has called me in, in leadership. And we all need that. We all need different kinds of things, different kinds of things. Different kinds of people, different kinds of environments if we want to experience God's power. And now, there are a number of reasons that we struggle with this, right? And, and I've struggled with them all. And, and, and the bottom line is that is we need to get over it, people. We, we need to move through that. Whatever your reason is, whatever your justification is, whatever you said to yourself and you said, well, I can do this on my own. I can show up on church on Sunday and uh, I can have life to the full. That's not what Luke's telling us. Luke is not teaching us that in this scripture. Luke is teaching us if we want what the disciples had, we have to do what the disciples did, right? And they met together. And we know this. They continue to meet together. The churches were started with two people, not one, with two people. And we see relationships all through the New Testament Testament being born. And, and, and when we get together, we're like, well, Anley, I really don't connect with those people over there very well. Like, I don't want to be with those people. I don't want to be in their group. They're different from me. They're a different stage of life. I don't get along with them. We have different hobbies. Dude, this group that we're talking about in the book of Acts, remember what was happening. It was during Passover. There was a festival going on, right? And in this festival, it says that there were all kinds of people, that people had left where their home countries and had come back to Jerusalem to worship. It says every nation under heaven was there. Every nation, which really means there was an incredible diversity, people that didn't have anything in common. It says that there were Jews and Gentiles, Parthians, Egyptians, Libyans, Arabs, Cretans, and Romans were in the crowd is what it says. These are people that had nothing in common. They didn't have a common culture. They didn't have a common personality. They didn't have a common temperament. They didn't have a common class. And yet, they're filled with the Spirit. Comes in, there's new life, there's new love, and they immediately meet together around the power and the love of Jesus Christ poured out for them. We have no excuse. We have zero excuse. And when you give yourself an excuse, you're giving yourself an opportunity to live less of the life than God has created you to live. That is not speculation. 
That is the truth of the gospel. If you want what the disciples had, it's not an option for you to live on your own. And it's not an excuse that you don't connect with these or those or thous or whatever. We say in our church that in diversity there is strength. There is strength in diversity. Because we get together and we reveal, we see the glory and the beauty of God and people that are different from us. And we grow and we appreciate and we experience that. Nothing in common. It is the kingdom. It is the kingdom. And so the other thing that we say is, I just don't have the time. I'm so busy. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, Jesus, I'm just, I was so busy in life, I didn't have time for more life. I had the groceries, I had the kids, I had school, I had work, and you know, life to the full, a life filled with power, a life filled with miracles. I'm going to choose the busyness. Thank you very much, Jesus, right? But here's the reality. When you experience the power of the gospel, the power of the spirit in your life, and you begin to live a new life, it affects every area of your life. It affects everything every person in your life. It affects every environment that you walk into. So the kingdom of God is within you, and wherever you go, you bring the kingdom. You bring the power. You bring the explosion of the spirit and the big life that you're living. I meet with so many people that come into my office that are in crisis, right? And, um, and they'll be like, they'll tell me. They'll tell me things that break my heart and that are sad, And I'll ask them, like, what's happening in your life? What's going on? And there'll be zero, zero pursuit of God. Zero meeting with other people. Zero accountability. Or or maybe a little. And and they ask me, Antley, why is this happening? Why why, why do I keep going back to this, this thing in my life? Why does it have control over me? There's no power. There's no power. You have no power. Apart from Jesus, you do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And we talk. And my advice is always, hey, let's get back into relationship with people. Let's get back into the word. Let's get back into worship. Let's get back into the things that nurture power in your life. And when you're filled with power, you won't desire the things of the world. You won't. But if you try to stop doing the things of the world with no power, you will do the things of the world. Because you can only do them. Jesus says, seek my kingdom first, baby. Seek my kingdom first, and I will give you and take care of everything else. Seek my kingdom first, and I will take care of everything else. If we want what they have, we need to do what they did. We need to trust Jesus. We need to trust and expect and long for life that comes from him, not from our efforts. This is who we're created to be as a church. This is who you were created to be. This is what you're built for. This is what your family needs. This is what the world needs. This is what your friends need. They need somebody to represent the powerful one, the all-powerful one, the one who has come and has been resurrected, that we have been resurrected with. That's what the world needs. It doesn't need more people telling them what to do. It needs people of power, demonstrating the power and the love of God, who's going after them and bringing transformation. It needs people who are relentless in meeting together, who are prioritizing the kingdom over everything, that we are relentless in our pursuit of each other. We are relentless in our pursuit of power and of love and of God. 
That's what the world needs. That's what we're built for. People that love Jesus. People that pursue Jesus. If we want what they had, I've said this a million times, we need to do what they did. Be who they were together. Seeking God's presence. Seeking God's power. Running after his life, no matter what. And so the question is a simple one today, right? Do you want what they had? Do you want what they had? And then the the answer is, then you need to do what they did. You need to obey the word. Allow it to cut to your heart. Create opportunity for the spirit to come in and wreck your life. But that's a choice that you have to make. Let's stand.